0: Grace Charrier is a global patient leader and public health advocate serving on several international cancer and health panels. Grace also serves as a legislative ambassador for the American Cancer Society Cancer Action Network, where she enables conversations and collaborations. Grace, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you so much for having me, Andrea, it's a pleasure. I'm so, so glad to have you. I've seen a lot of your videos, um, but you were asking people about their story, and now I get a chance to ask you about yours. So we were talking a little bit before I hit record. Um, Can you take me back, um, and also the listeners and viewers, to the very beginning of your cancer journey? Thank you so much. Um, Yes, my cancer
1: journey actually started in 2016. I was home, um, when I say home, my land of my birth in Nigeria. And I was organizing an awareness program event for women living with um, uterine fibroids. And so it was a grassroots thing. And so I was in the satellite towns um spreading awareness and everything. And we had all the, you know, representatives of government who keyed in into conversations. And so it was quite hectic because I was like putting it together while I was here in New York. And so when it was time for the launch, I, I traveled back there. So fast forward, I, um, you know, we finished all that. It was a huge success and all. And one morning, about two days after I went to go have my shower um, in preparation to, you know, uh, coming back to New York City and um I just fell in my bathroom. I, I fainted and fell in my bathroom. Hit my my myself, almost oh. had this eye off. My right eye was oh, almost gone. Cause I hit my head um on the toilet seat. Oh gosh. Um, and luckily I I had bath rugs, so that kind of cushions the effect. And um, I went to the hospital after that, because I was like blue black all over my clavicle and everything where it was discovered that my blood pressure was very high. It was 170 over 110. Whoa. And um, the hospital, the doctors wanted to admit me, but I said, no, and put me on medication. I said, no, since I was coming back to, to the United States and fast forward, I, um, I had to push back my trip and got on the next trip out of there and came into New York. When I got back here, my, I went to go see my PCP. And um, he was like, you fell, maybe your electrolytes were low or something. And, and this same conversation about my blood pressure being high, you know, kept um, recurring. I told him, well, I didn't know
0: why my BP was up. Had had you uh, ever had high blood pressure before? No,
1: never. never. Okay. Well, I wouldn't know, you know. Something right. has to happen until you now discover that there there really is something happening. But no you know? prior history. No prior okay. history. Exactly. He recommended several tests. Having a, a mammogram was the last. Uh, went for an echocardiogram where it was discovered that I was still okay. I mean, there was nothing wrong. Yes, there was a bit of flutter here and there, but it was kind of, um, uh, they they kind of said, okay, maybe I was overworked because of all that I was doing, you know, and my age over 50, these things occur. I went for all the other tests came up. And then he said, Oh, by the way, when was the last time you had a a mammogram? And seriously, I couldn't remember. And he said, Okay, off you go. Right. I'm going to send you off. And those tests were inconclusive, the mammograms, hmm. twice. Um, they saw something, but they weren't sure. They saw something, they weren't sure. And so on the third uh, time I had to see my PCP, he said, listen, these results are inconclusive, so you're going to have to have a minimally uh, invasive biopsy, which I did. And that was when it was discovered that um, I didn't just have a lump, I had a mass.
0: So were you referred to a surgeon for that biopsy? Um, Actually, my PCP um,
1: referred me to an oncologist. Okay. And um, the oncologist and the diagnostic center worked in tandem um, to kind of follow up what was going on. And when the results went back to the oncologist, um, the oncologist told me that, um, you know, this was what was discovered going by all that they had seen after physical exams. It was a stage three.
0: And you said this was 2016. What month is this?
1: Um, I fell in April and then all this happened between the months of May and um, June. Yes. Okay. I, I went to have the physical exam with my oncologist and he now discovered it was, yes, that it was a mass and... Apparently, my lymph nodes were affected, and it was a stage three breast cancer.
0: Okay, and did you receive that news in person? I had my daughter with me at the time.
1: It was in person.
0: Um, and things, what happen. was your reaction, and what was your daughter's reaction? Well,
1: I wasn't worried for myself at the time. I was worried for my daughter, um, and I kind of hid it from her when because uh, I, I went first to go receive... the the news. I didn't want her with me the first time. But the second time, when I now had to have it um, conveyed um, by the oncologist, she went with me. And it was just tears all the way. But I was kind of hopeful because I said... um, um, I'm in a system where at least, you know, they won't throw us off the streets, onto the streets. They still have to take care of me. And okay, I'm the kind of person, yes, I'm in the mess, but how do I get out of here? So let's see what we can do. It, is there any possibility that I'll be alive for the next two years or three years? Let me get my house in order or whatever. But I had a fantastic oncologist who at, you know, there were so many recommendations. Um, he had done a good job. Even women who had um, stage four cancer, touch with, they're still alive today by God's grace and by his kind intervention. So um, I, I had to put my thoughts in order. I had to be as positive as possible and make affirmations that I was going to get out of it. So um, the first time I got the news, I was alone. Okay. But the second time, I was with my daughter. And uh, how old was, was your
0: daughter at this point? 30. Yeah. Okay. So what did the oncologist recommend as next steps? Um, he said since it was a mass,
1: I would have to undergo uh, chemotherapy. I would definitely have to have surgery because now it was my lymph nodes also affected. Right, uh, those had to be removed. And then I would have to have radiation um, to make sure that there were no more um, cells in the tumor bed, kind of eliminate that recurring. I had to have um, chemotherapy to shrink the mass because they was scared to operate since it was quite large, my right, right breast. Okay. And then um, afterwards... Uh, that took like about 6 7 months and then afterwards i rested a bit and then had to uh have surgery had my uh, my mastectomy my right breast was removed and then rested a bit and then um 2017 was when i in april was when i had my starter radiation for like about 6 7 weeks um every day for six, seven weeks, that was crazy. So that was the trajectory.
0: Can you tell us just a little bit about, you know, what was the most difficult part of those different treatment regimens, the surgery, the chemotherapy and the radiation? Yeah,
1: they were all difficult. <laughs> there, was, there was no way one was easy at all. Um, chemotherapy, ugh, I still have the test of like, the taste of metal or whatever in my mouth, it was crazy. Ugh. I was vomiting, I had diarrhea. Um, my, In fact, at one time my blood, uh, my, my, my white um, blood count was, was low, so I had to stop. They recommended I stopped and build it back a bit to be able to go forward with um, the next regimen. Um, that was chemotherapy. I couldn't keep anything down. I was as thin as a, a thread. The same thing with uh, my mastectomy. Um, I had to have drains and even taking care of that was one thing being helped in hospital, but coming back home and, um, you know, my daughter had to be at work. So um, I had, I was home alone. I had to take care of that. It was, it was a burden. Um, So with two uh, drains on, on one side of your, your body, um, having to take care of that, having to note down the output, um, okay. and the color, because as it was getting more, you know, straw-like in color meant that, you know, those parts were healing. So okay. there was less blood coming out. Got it. And then, um, um, radiation too. Oh my God. Radiation was horrible because I was having radiation in the middle of summer. Oh gosh. And it, oh. it was like, I was in a furnace when I had that blast every day, except weekends and my skin was peeling. I had to use aquaphor. My skin, I couldn't wear clothes because anything I wore, my skin would come off on it. Oh. Uh, come off of, uh, come come off on the fabric and um, oh yeah, I suffered. I really really suffered. So that was um, those were the crazy parts of of, of, of those uh, interventions that I had to undergo. Um, I, I wouldn't wish that on anyone at all, but when when you need to stay alive right and that's what you have to do, you have to do it.
0: So. Did you choose to do reconstruction at all? Initially,
1: I thought about it, but um, after having gone through surgery and after having heard quite a number of stories of women who had regretted having reconstruction, something happened afterwards and all that, I had a phobia, you know, Um, I didn't want to now start, okay, I had my breast removed for... Something that was going to save my life. Right. And then um, now to have reconstruction, and then something happens. My very close friend had issues, had problems um, with it. And when she'd tell me, I'd be like, oh my God, I don't even want to go through that <laughs> now, no way. So, um, yeah, because uh, I, I had to do a lot of homework, read up, uh, reviews look at the types of um, results that stem from women having um, these, uh, you know, surgical uh, implants, essentially. Essentially for me, I didn't, I don't blame anybody for wanting to do what they want to do. But for me, I said, no, I'd rather just stay with um, my breast forms, which is what I have. And I would have peace of mind at the end of the day.
0: I I have a good friend. I, I think she, I think, and, and her whole cancer journey was long before I met her, but I think she originally did have reconstruction um, on the one breast and it didn't go well and had the implant taken out. And so now at professional events, like she does have a, a prosthetic that she wears um, just, just to, you know, give her clothes more symmetry and make them fit well and things like that. Um, but she said, nope. Not even bothering, never again. And and she had breast cancer fairly young, I think in her late thirties. Um oh, wow. yeah, yeah. And um yeah, so I know that she would agree with you a hundred percent. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. So how is your daughter during all of this? And did she have any concerns about developing breast cancer?
1: She was like in fact, she was torn. Let me put it that way. I had to make sure that, that didn't she didn't have any fears or whatever. Because definitely any child seeing the mother go through that would have would, you know, have those thoughts. Mm-hmm. You understand? And thoughts of me, especially um dying, you know. Oh yeah. And um many times I would you know, hear her, like, like when I, I came back home with the, um, with the news, uh, she had to go meet a friend of hers who writes, um, I think he's a medical, he, he writes, um, what is it? Papers, articles and knows a whole lot about, you know, cancer and, you know, health issues and all that. So she went to go seek his, um, Thoughts on on what happened. So she was very very much involved, and um, she she matured. Um, I just saw a whole a brand new young lady mm. who had kind of grown with me uh, towards you know during this journey. Um, she was a, a sister, a mother, um, a best friend, and um, yeah, she was a very good support system. Excellent support system. And um, I think with her, it kind of um, made things easier. You know, that uh, with with all the laughter we had, there were lots of tears, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) No doubt about it. So it kind of helped in, you know, stemming those emotions of what if, what if not. We didn't even think about it. That I wasn't uh, going to make it. The whole thing was like, we're on top of this. We're on top right. of this. Mom, we're going to get through it. We're going to get through it. As young as she was, basically at that time, I would say that it's, it's kind of built her resilience as well. It, it was a natural teacher for her, um, that life, let's put it that way. And um, I, I think it, it, it um, resulted in some positive um, uh, mental and mental developments for her, I would say.
0: Now, be- because it was breast cancer, were you ever tested genetically for any, uh, for like the BRCA gene, for example? No, because my mom didn't have it.
1: Okay. You know, my, my mom is, um, she is, she's passed on now, but she, she didn't have it. She was never sick. She never had breast cancer. She just slept and... And that was it, so um i but I never tested if you know it wasn't the family, and I, that's something I will have to do very soon, but then, no, it was just questions. Did anybody in your family i know my right. my my mother didn't have it, I know my grannies didn't at least I wasn't told right so um it were was like, were any
0: women in your family
1: no, not at all most most times it was um. Uh, It was my uncles who had actually prostate cancer. For the women, no. Uh, The the women didn't, uh, not that we were told.
0: Okay, boy, when you fell in that shower, that was your body's way of sending a signal. Absolutely. I
1: call it the divine fall. I've written a book about it, which I'll tell you about.
0: What was your worst moment during that time? My worst moment
1: was um, sitting in limbo, waiting. Um, to know if it was just a matter of time, if it was going to be palliative, it was just waiting, just sitting there waiting, hoping that, um, that there'd be light at the end of the tunnel. That was it. Yeah.
0: You know, it kind of reminds me with uh, my sister, I kept hoping to hear the words change, there's been a change because we always heard no change, no change, no change. And I talk about that in my book. I just wanted to hear it. There's been a change, but I never thought that hearing the words change would be bad news. Mm-hmm. So when we finally heard the words, there's been a change in her mm-hmm. scans um, after yet another round of useless chemotherapy in her case,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, it was horrible news. And, and, th- and that's when I realized, Oh, okay, a change, is not necessarily a good thing, but I understand that feeling of limbo because I always felt like waiting for the results of those scans was just, it was just this constant anxiety that gnawed away at you um, from the time the scans were done to the time the results came back. Um, and so I, I, I understand in that sense. Um, what was your best moment during this time?
1: My best moment was actually when I um, finished all my treatments, and I went on holiday to Montreal.
0: Oh, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Why Montreal? It, it was actually
1: Montreal during the, the lull when I had that period of grace between um, the mastectomy and uh, um, between uh, my, um, what is it, my chemotherapy Okay, you know, because yeah just, I, I didn't know if I could travel, I didn't know. Um, you know, I just wanted to get out. It was Thanksgiving. And my daughter and I said, "Let's go spend Thanksgiving elsewhere." You understand, I didn't yeah. want anything that would remind me of Absolutely you know, being here.: Yeah. But the real, real, real McCoy was when I finished everything, and then we went to Cayman Islands. Oh, it was, it was my birthday. <laughs> so, yeah in June so yes um, you know that that was that was my best moment that was my best moment
0: so you still have not answer my question like I, I totally get the Cayman Islands but why Montreal <laughs> why why um, especially in the winter why Montreal <laughs> Yeah,
1: just, yes we just decided you know was just like hey let's go you understand and um, yeah um, was it beautiful it was so, so beautiful. Yeah. It was so beautiful. <laughs> very, very beautiful, honestly. Yes, it was snowing, but it was <laughs> that freshness that, um, and you know, Montreal is so pretty. Right. Yeah, I've heard know, that. So it was, I mean, everywhere was so clean. The, even the, the subways, you know, everything was, and, and you know, everything is underground. So until you come out, You know, you never know that it was snowing, oh my goodness, or whatever. It was heated, all the shops, all the restaurants, everything was underground. So I loved that part of, of Montreal. There was life underground, so to
0: speak. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, I um, should. So many places I wanna go, of course, at the time of this recording, who knows if we'll ever be allowed to go anywhere ever again, so. I know,
1: um, I know, it's <laughs> crazy. COVID has really um, changed the course of, you know, oh wow, it's been madness
0: has you know you were already an incredible advocate um with everything you were doing and not just you know here in the us worldwide but how has your life changed since you were personally affected by such a devastating disease as cancer oh you
1: know um oh it's changed a lot um i'm not I'm not looking at myself anymore. All those mundane things. Like why? Just me, me, me. I want to travel here. I want to do that. I want to buy this. I want to. No, now my my money goes on charities. My money goes to people. My money. Um, I like I was telling you, I sit on boards where I contribute. I wouldn't say money, but time, efforts, um, right. bringing. I'm um, an asset to these global panels. Um. I want to make sure that men and women, because it's not just about breast cancer, it's cancer, right? That's what I tell people. So what is it? Um, what are these factors that actually affect cancer? Mental, I mean, mental health. Um, have you drawn up your will? Are you eating right? All that. So, so important. it's holistic now, right? my advocacy. And um, I, I, I cater to all demographics. This journey has made me like open up my, um, you know, the the horizons. I would say have opened up. What should I say? Should I say the universe? Sure. P- people to you, um, people are drawn to you. Oh, we love what you do. Could you could you do this? Would you like to join us? We're, you know you. So um, the experience, you know, like my, like my aunt would say something good has to come out of Nazareth, right? And that means that no matter how bad a situation is, uh, you would always see a positive side to it. I do a lot of work stuff, you know, consultancy for the United Nations as well, Um, a UN peace ambassador. So I've I've done a lot of stuff there and everything, but I said, okay, what do I wanna do now for myself? How do I use this experience? to to pay it forward um, especially where i come from Ca- cancer is considered a death sentence and so when mm-hmm. i tell people that i had cancer you had cancer you're not dead oh my god you know so what did you do what you know and i and i tell them i said first of all your mind is very important just mm-hmm. make sure that you say i'm go accept even miracles do happen um, I told you about my oncologist saving two or three women who had, bre- they had been to places where they said, just go home and prepare yourself. Yeah. You're not going to make it. But they're still living. They're older than I am. So it's giving positivity and all that. Um, sorry, let me not digress. Back to your question. It's changed me a lot, you know, uh, I would say for the better, not that I was a bad person, you know, but <laughs> like, oh, wow. Um, what can I do? How can I help? Um, what would you, what do you think? Let's do something together. Let's form a collective. Let's go here. Children's hospital. What did, you know? So it's not about me anymore. It's not about me, you know, um, because I said, listen, I was sick for two and a half, three years. Let's put it that way. My I- life stopped. I'm just getting my glow back, and it's just a lot of makeup on.
0: Oh, no, you are glowing. Oh, please.
1: No, seriously. But um, what I'm trying to say is that when you're stuck in one place for two and a half, three years, you can't wear your clothes. You can't wear your shoes. You can't go to your favorite restaurants. You can't go watch a movie. We lived without all those things, right? But um, now you come out of it, you're like, hey, wait a second. Um, I survived. I didn't have a hundred pairs of shoes. I only wore slippers or or sneakers, just two. (laughs) Um, What did I eat? I only had vegetables or, you know, uh, what is it? Some juice my daughter would with roughage and all that kind of thing. And there'd still be food in the house. So all these things kind of made me very, I uh, reflected and very retrospective. And like, so what's, what's in the world? At the end mm. of the day, you know, what's it? So,
0: so that, you, your life was simplified because it had to be.
1: I've become so minimalistic. You won't believe it.
0: I, I, I went through the same thing when, um, when I left Los Angeles and moved across the country. Same thing, yeah. What is one thing, Grace, that you wish you had known at the very beginning of your cancer journey?
1: I wish I had known that um, there were communities you could go to, because I, I, apart from my daughter, if she wasn't here, I think I would have suffered more, let's be honest. I didn't know, it was much later I got to know that um, there were communities, online communities, for people like us, you know, to go to—I mean, I had my laptop. I, I, all I was doing was just googling: "Will I live? Will I die?" No. <laughs> I, I wasn't oh go. no! No, seriously. Will <laughs> I live? Will I die? How many months do I have? Oh, Next Grace! Three. No, no. If you're
0: listening, don't Google that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that, that is it because. Especially when you go see your doctor, you're, you're hearing a lot of things in, in his lobby. You're hearing so many nasty stories, yeah. depressing stories, yeah, um, Gosh. seeing people younger than me, you know, being diagnosed yeah. with, can you imagine colon cancer now? Before they used to say, have a test for colon cancer. Look at Chadwick, 43, and he's even old. There are a couple of young men that my, my um, oncologist had diagnosed with colon cancer. They weren't yet 40.
0: Oh, my sister
1: was 15. So it's scary. <laughs> I wish I had actually looked into the possibility of making friends, um, online, um, you know, where community groups. And, and there's so many I discovered after everything, you know, which, which I'm still a part of for you know, survivors like us. Okay, you now have one breast, right? So, how do you tackle having a relationship now? What do you tell whoever is wants to come into your life or whatever? how How do you now start going?
0: You know, so um, how do you tackle? I don't address tackle.
1: Um, I I tackling is um, uh, a word I. I would say, how do how 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 did I face
0: it? How do I face it? Or how, yeah, how do you how do you address it? Um, if you are in a new relationship, like what advice would you give to another woman who's out there dating again? Um, you know, it's a little bit different, right? If you're already married in a long-term relationship and that person went through the entire thing with you, but what mm-hmm. do you say to a woman who's maybe dating again for the first time uh, since you know? Since going through treatment, what advice would you give that woman? I think it's very valuable. So what would you say? I would say be yourself
1: and be honest about everything. For for me, I discovered that my journey is an acid test for whoever wants to be in my life. Oh, I love it. It shows, uh, it would show who he really is if he wants someone just for the gloss and the... You know, nice effect and all that, or he w- really wants someone's soul, someone's heart, um, the, the woman that she is. So when people like ask me, they say, Oh, you're so you're nice, you don't want to date again. I said, Well, I'm still waiting for the guy that I think deserves me.
0: Oh, um, I love that. So, love it.
1: So that would, and, and they're a couple, but we're, we're still watching because these things are very, dicey. If one is going to go into a relationship, it's for a long-term right, especially after what we've been through. You need stability. It's very, very important for people like us. You need a companion that is stable, that is level-headed, and that is there with you for the long run. Um, That will will be a cushion. That will be a best friend that will hold your hand, even knowing that, okay, you have that smile on your face, but all is still not well. You still look in the mirror and say, ah, oh my God, I have one breast, so, oh my God, what happened? But then somebody else say, hey, 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 get out of there, stop looking in the mirror, let's go grab something, you know, I still love you regardless. So that, that woman that is listening now, even that man, because um, I've, I've interviewed a couple of um, a, a handsome young men who had testicular cancer, at 25, he's now 28. He's gorgeous.
0: I know who you're talking about because I interviewed yes. him too. <laughs> yes,
1: he will never have kids. Yeah. And I'm like, so what's going to happen? We, we had to stop that recording for some time. I had to edit it like God knows how many times because it brought tears to my eyes and, and tears to his. You know, so he's like, Grace, anybody that, actually feels, she feels, she wants, I mean, people are adopting children every day. That's right. Right. So, um, Hey, if you really want me for who I am, then, and and I love you and you love me, that shouldn't be the problem. Right. So, uh, and another thing I'd, I'd like to, to say to anybody listening, even as a husband and wife or a couple, right? Never assume that your relationship is going to last, even after. A lot of relationships have died on the way, even when they were married at the beginning. It ended up in divorce. I think,
0: yeah, the top top three things that break up uh, long-term relationships or marriages, um, and, and not in any particular order, money, problems, the death of a child, Um, and, and, and disease, you know, one person being diagnosed and going through all of that. Um, yeah, I can still remember
1: the situation where a young man who was hooked up, uh, taking his chemo, like we were in, there were 10 of us, usually that's seven to 10 of us in in the chemo room and he was weeping. Mm. He was weeping. Um, he worked for, um, uh, USPS. You know, And he, he said uh, just before he came, he got a letter from his wife, a uh, divorce. They served. Oh, my God. And he wasn't expecting it at all? Not expecting it. You know. Oh, God. And um, all of us, were, we, we froze. We actually froze. Lovely guy, he had a voice. We were like, Hey, you're in the wrong business, man. You should
0: have been (laughs) he should have been a radio announcer or
1: something. (laughs) He should have been something, you know, he would pep us up,
0: Are you lonesome
1: tonight?
0: Oh my goodness, I love it. He had
1: this he had this voice. But then when he told us that that news that, that afternoon when we were hooked up, oh my goodness. Yeah. And yeah. You know, I still talk to him a couple of times. Yes, they're separated. Thank God his kids take care of him, see he's okay and all that. He's not in any relationship. He doesn't want to be. Right. There's grace. I'm too old now to be in any cat, play any cat and mouse game.
0: But that, but that sometimes when you're not looking, you're just being yourself, focusing on yourself, being your best self that's when the right person shows up.
1: Exactly. That's exactly what I tell people. Yeah. I say, I'm not looking,
0: but if
1: anybody's looking at me, if he has the guts, let him come. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, I, I won't say who it is, but um, I have a friend who's a breast cancer survivor and, um, and she, friends of hers were really trying to get her to get out there and date and things like mm-hmm. that. And so um, she went on this blind date that her friends basically set up and i think i think they did it through like an e-harmony or match something like that years ago and and she reluctantly went had a fantastic time with this man and Mm. he drops her off and she's going to her door and he's about to leave and she runs back to the car and she said there's something i have to tell you Mm -hmm. and you just need to know this this is is my life um i'm a two-time cancer survivor and i'm this much more likely to have cancer yet for a third time so this is part of my life and you know if if we are to move forward you might have to deal with this and he just said without missing a beat he said something like well I have a six-year-old daughter for my you know first marriage we all have baggage <laughs> oh bless. Oh my goodness! He, he didn't even phase him, and oh, wow. and they ended up getting married. Um, she's oh, very wow. close to her stepdaughter uh, because she ended up not being able to have children. She did have yet a third um, bout with cancer, um, and he was there for all of it. Um, and then he just—I've never met him, but he just sounds like such a solid stand-up guy. Oh, but wow. but it didn't phase him at all. It was like. This is part of you. It's part of your. It's part of everything. And she used to be an engineer. Oh wow! And he nice. was the one that encouraged her to start telling her story, and and that led to her working full time in patient advocacy, eventually. Um, but she but she mm-hmm. was a trained engineer, and that's what she did. And yes. yeah, it's just such a great story. Like it, it didn't oh, save him at that. all. And um, if you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the US, what would it be and why? I would
1: say follow up. You know, when you're in, when you're going through this trajectory, your doctors are on you, your oncologist and you, the hospitals are all over you, Race, you have to, you know, your appointment is at seven, you're not here yet, you know, every, everybody's on top of your game, right? Mm-hmm. Once you finish those treatments, you're alone nobody calls you again. Nobody calls you Mm -hmm. mine. They don't even call you back. Yes. My, my oncologist does and my doctors do, but what I'm trying to say, that's because we probably had a very, very fantastic relationship, right? You know, a relationship that morphed into like brotherhood, sisterhood kind of thing. Right. But when I'm, when I speak to a whole lot of the spectrum of patients. across board, not just cancer patients, they all say that they feel so lost and forlorn when, you know, the PCP or the oncologist, nobody calls anymore to say, oh, how are you doing today? Right. Do you, you know, yes, you had some issues um, last year. Or six months ago, hi you? We haven't seen you here. Um, are you still on top with your medication? Do you want to come in? or um, we we sent you um, some cup cupcakes. I mean, if I was a doctor, my patients would be in love with me because I would be following that up with um, uh, with, uh, with my with my patients. Mm-hmm. Um, send cards, let them know that they're still being thought of. Um, Not just that, we're just some kind of statistic. Yes, uh, Grace passed through, Rebecca passed through, and they were number 101, and Grace was number 162. No, Grace passed here. How's Grace today? Rebecca passed here. Andrea passed here. How are they doing today? Have you called them up? There has to be something, you know, um, to deal with survivorship. Yeah. Yeah. because these are things that matter. You find out that a lot of people thrive when they're going for their interventions because they need people. I always used to be very happy going into in, 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 into chemo room, but going for my, I would hate the fact that it was chemo, right? But the fact that I was going to meet new people every day, I was going to listen to news, I was going to bond, I was going to hear what was going on in the medical world, I was going to. You, you, know, had, take, a you had, had a community.
0: You had a community. There. Which yeah. seized,
1: you know, um, and most especially for a lot of people. So I only I, I wish that um, healthcare is one thing, but what happens when the person finishes um, their interventions? What follow ups are there? Because that matters. That matters. A lot of people don't thrive well afterwards. Do you understand? Because we hear that a lot.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah. They don't, they don't. So if I was to change healthcare, healthcare is doing great, I would say, but for people like us that have been through so much, these are the words and these are the things we need to see to be added to healthcare. Survivorship, real survivorship plans. What are these people doing? How are they thriving? Is it just family? What about those that don't even have family? How are they managing? We are still young. What about those elderly people in their 70s? Are you speaking with them? You know, that's that's my only, um, uh, what should I say, reservation about the healthcare system. You know, I'm African, right? So um, this is something that, is unheard of because you'd have, well, we're very communal. Right. You know, if it's not your neighbor, it's your family, your extended family. and In fact, you would have been swarmed by family. So you wouldn't even have time to think uh, what's going on here. Is everything okay or, or whatever? Um, so you probably wouldn't need that, that, um, you know, after, after uh, survivorship, uh, whatever plans, because you have family there. But here in these climes, where each man to his own, unfortunately, let's say the truth, each man to his own, you finish, you're on your own. I think people would thrive better if those people that the patients looked up to, the PCP, the oncologist, the nurse, uh, you know, that that setup, would from time to time call them, uh, visit even. check up, send a card, send sweets. We're thinking of you. Oh, today's your birthday, right? Right. Um, Send reminders. We know it's your birthday. What would you like? These are the kind of things that keep people happier um, and very good for mental health.
0: Oh, I love that. We we get that a lot and something we're really paying attention to how we can we call, it, we don't say survivorship, we actually call it alumni. And so how can we you know, help those who have survived cancer and, and be there for them? Um, because we're hearing it from providers too, that there's just not enough for survivors and, and they don't know how to help. Um, so I definitely think you're on to something. Um, are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire questions? Sure, I am. All Very right, long, okay, <laughs> Beach. Desert or mountains? Beach. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Beatles. What is one word that best describes you? Positive. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear?
1: It would be reggae. It would be a reggae song, a Bob Marley song.
0: Any Bob Marley song. Any Bob <laughs> Marley. Um, the last meal you want to eat? Mashed potatoes, sweet corn, and lamb. <laughs> you knew that right away I love it uh, That's my favorite <laughs> um, the last person you want to see my daughter and the last words you will speak I love you Aww. and aside from cancer you what is one resource that you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers and in addition to whatever you're about to say be sure to tell us about your book too
1: oh well American Cancer Society for real you know, after Cancer, you American Cancer Society for all the resources. Yes. And also the Lancelet, also. Yeah. They're, they're, they're
0: very good, they're exceptional. So, those two
1: resources, the Lancelet okay. and American Cancer
0: Society. Okay. And tell us about your book so we can put a link to it. Yes. My book
1: is called The Imposicant. Imposicant is like a colloquial for ludicrous, impossible. Um, You know, never, ever kind of thing. And those were the words my daughter uttered when um, I told her that I had cancer. It was was like denial kind of thing. Mm. And it's my memoir, uh, which takes us from the time of my fall to when I finished my treatments and everything. It's inspirational, filled with humor, laughter, there's a glossary in the back because it's, it's really indie authored, authored by me. Um, You know, a lot of African Nigerian idioms, but with a glossary. So you'll love it. Um, Yeah. So it, it, it cuts across, you know, my experiences, people I've met, my, um, uh, what is it? My, my mindset during those times. um, And then a lot of, you know, African, Nigerian sceneries are interwoven and and all that. I think it, you know, it's it's extremely interesting, if I may say so myself. Oh, absolutely. You can say. I uh, like impo, Uh can't. So part of impossibility, impo, then can't,
0: can't. Okay. And can people get that on Amazon? On Amazon and on Smashwords by Grace Ferrier. All right. Grace, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank Thank you you. so
1: much for having me out
0: Oh, it's beautiful. Thank you.
1: God bless.
0: Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university, that's cancer.university, and hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast, real people, true stories.